Welcome back to like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, Jason Hardrath is coming back on the show um, to talk about a couple just extremely humongous adventures that he's been on uh, since we last spoke with him. Um, and Jason, when he's been on in the past, if you've checked out those episodes, he is a big dreamer. He's a guy who goes after these big, audacious challenges uh, that include everything from climbing big mountains to ultra running um, to doing infinity loops around giant volcanoes, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit here. And he's always an entertaining guest, uh, deep thinker. I really, really, really enjoy sitting down and chatting with him uh, every single time I've had him on the show. Um, in this specific episode, uh, we talk about a couple things. We talk about a new film that is called Journey to Infinity. Uh, it is about the first big infinity loop uh, that he does on the tallest volcano in North America. Um, and then from there, we kind of move on to what he did this summer. He's a teacher like me, and this summer he spent his time in the Rocky Mountains where he climbed all of the 14ers in Colorado. So that's all the 14,000 foot mountains, um, all the 13,000 foot mountains in Wyoming, and then all the 12,000 foot mountains in Montana. Uh, it was extremely successful. The challenge came down to the wire, which is amazing for such a big, big uh, event. Um, and then from there, we'll dive into kind of the meat of the episode, which is about uh, an expedition that he just put on to Chile to um, try to set an infinity loop on the tallest volcano in South America. Um, and what makes this episode unique is the fact that that expedition didn't necessarily go according to plan, meaning Jason and the other athletes didn't necessarily accomplish the thing that they set out to do. And so in this one, Jason and I kind of explore, like, what did they come away with then? You know, if they didn't go down there and achieve the thing that they were aiming to achieve, did they still have a worthwhile experience? Um, and, you know, I've said this many times on the podcast This is kind of a, a major saying in my life that fail equals first attempt in learning. And it seems like that's exactly what this experience was for him. So um, let's just dive right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 371 with Jason Hardrath. Jason, you've been on the podcast before. I know I've just I've given you a whole bunch of praise before because I just love talking with you, love hearing your stories. Um, and man, since we last talked, which I feel like was probably last winter, maybe, or even like last spring, maybe. I don't remember all the way, but you've done some wild stuff, dude. Like some crazy, crazy stuff. So uh, fill us yeah, in. I remember haven't hung the shoes up yet. Haven't you have up. not hung the <laughs> shoes up and you just kept wearing those shoes out. And uh, <laughs> and 
Uh, I'm pretty sure when we last talked, your your film was in production. It was going to come out. You were preparing for the Rocky Mountain Grand Slam. Um, and then you just started dipping your toe into doing these infinity loops, like big project kind of thing. So I'm excited to hear about all of it, dude. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, yeah, for for people that, well, people should just go back and listen to that previous episode. We did some awesome storytelling and got into some heartfelt topics. Um, but yeah, second film. Um, so first film, I, I suppose we can include links to both. First film yeah. was Journey to 100 about climbing Washington's 100 highest peaks. And then uh, I started this infinity loop project, extending the infinity loop to the tallest volcanoes in the world, the volcanic seven summit list, which is the tallest volcano on each continent. Um, and I'd wanted to go like clear back as far as you can go back to the adventure sport podcast and look up my, one of my first ever podcasts with Mason Gravely on that channel. And at the end of the podcast, he asked me that typical question of like, Oh, what's next, man. And I'm like, I want to take infinity loops to some of the bigger volcanoes around the world. Yeah. And then of course COVID happened in 2020. Um, so yeah, it's like pulling that, pulling that off the back burner, pulling that off the shelf and bringing it back to life. Uh, got to fund Nathan Longhurst to come with me to Pico de Orizaba. Pico de Orizaba. Yeah. Um, the tallest volcano in North America in Mexico. Yeah. And he and I went and established that one after I had a solo failed attempt because of high altitude pulmonary edema, which is kind of a blight of my life for those that haven't <laughs> seen the journey to infinity film yet. You should go find it on YouTube. It's great. No, I love it. Watch. Man. And actually that's where you left us. I'm pretty sure on like a literal cliffhanger. You know, oh, where you're hiking yeah. up the peak, you're not feeling good, you know, and all that. And then you got to go watch the movie, you know, so watch that yeah, right so now. <laughs> go like here. We're, we're, we're waiting. Go, go watch it. Pause. Seriously, hit the pause button. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, go go watch that if you haven't. And. Man, I mean, what an epic. And can I, can I tell you something just really quick about the film that I really enjoyed? I think what you showed in that film film was really raw and it was basically the debate between climbing partners your partners you know and you both have the same goal and you're having this debate or kind of disagreement on how to accomplish the goal and i really appreciated that you actually showed that because i think a lot of films or the way people tell stories is they gloss over those bumpy moments and i thought you all did like a really wonderful job with that and it it came across as like a very memorable part of that film to me thank you i mean as soon as that happened and unfolded it was like yeah this is the key part of this story it's it's a story of partnership it's a story of the the tension we feel feel yeah. when you know because because right we face this in other parallels in life it's you know, you have a friend that you decide to go into business with and suddenly you see a side of them that you've never seen before. And you're like, whoa, what's happening? It's yeah. like, well, that's because their name is on it. Like maybe you've never both been putting your name on something together. And that was kind of something I anticipated when I selected Nathan, him being younger than me and ambitious and still seeking out his grand contribution, his grand experiment, his grand adventure yeah. um, in life and what that's going to be. Um, and yeah, it's one thing to sort of anticipate that there might be some tension, 
it's another thing when you're actually out there and in it and you have to like navigate those moments when you're fatigued and struggling and altitude sick. Um, and yeah, I can, I can actually say that I'm proud of how the two of us handled ourselves and, and navigated the conversation and the, the tension between each other yeah. to arrive at a, a, a mutually beneficial conclusion. Um, I'll again, leave people to watch it to, to yeah. see what that was, but it was, uh, it was real and it was raw and there was real tension and questioning involved. And I think we face that. Yeah. Like I said, anytime we're, we're entering into a serious partnership with another human being, it like reveals a side of them where they want to express themselves and pursue in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not, you know, like you both have your own, everyone has their own ways of going about doing something and, you know, people are going to want to express that in a different way. Did your, I was just curious about this and you know, you have experience every day working with human beings. Granted, they're tiny human beings as a teacher, um, but a lot of that is just navigating these different perspectives in a classroom. Like, do you think some of that has kind of helped guide you in your own, you know, not like romantic relationships, but like adventure relationships? Oh, man. Um yeah, no, I think I think that those those skill sets and awarenesses um of just always being in these contexts where I'm having to communicate really effectively and at appropriate yes. levels, I'm having to be emotionally tuned in at different levels. Yeah. Um I'm having to present with emotional literacy and enthusiasm and um being tuned into how my emotions impact and can shape the room. Um, it's like, oh yeah, that absolutely has shaped how I, how I can convey myself in building relationships with people for adventure before we ever go out. Yeah. And then also in the experience while being out there, being able to be tuned into what's going on inside myself and then what I'm conveying to the other person sort of, it's like two stories at once. Uh, and this is one of the ways I think about teaching, right? Cause I can be having a certain story and experience with something. Maybe I'm having a miserable day yeah. and it's just an average teaching day, or maybe I'm taking a group of students up a, a mountain, a hike. And that hike is absolutely mundane and routine to me. Like I can rip up that thing in no time without a thought, but I know that they are on a frontier adventure. Yeah. They're having a breakthrough journey. And so I communicate their story. I articulate their story and I emote their emotions and I'm present with them on their experience instead of downplaying their experience and being blind to their experience because my experience is very different where it's like, oh yeah, this is a 30 minute peak for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I ripped this out on a Tuesday. It's like, <laughs> that's not what they need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what they need to hear. They need to be like, yeah, no, this is a real struggle. This is the hard part. I struggle here too. I've, I've stood in this very spot and questioned whether I was going to go to the top um, it's worth it. Keep going. And then taking them through that journey. It's like, ah, oh, look at the view, check out where your legs brought you. How do you feel about this? Yeah. Uh, and letting them feel that journey and that excitement. It's like the same applies when I'm out on adventures with people. Like I tune in and I notice the moments that it's like, oh, this is a key moment for them. Yeah. No, I not, love it. It might not be for me, but it is for them. And that's yeah. important. And that's yeah. really in all truth, even while I'm pursuing my own ambitions at this point in, in my 
progress of going around the block myself, uh, that's the most important part yeah. is to be tuned in and present for the important experiences of other human beings around me. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure, it's fun to go fast and accomplish big things and put your name on stuff. But if you can carry another human being through a meaningful experience that changes them, that's way more worth dude, it. Dude, nothing's to... nothing is better than that, honestly. Like that's the thing, dude. And uh, you know, as teachers, I feel like we get to have even like little moments of that where you're changing their experience and their existence. You're like, whoa, this is awesome. And that's like the <laughs> the addicting part. That and the paycheck, obviously. Um oh, big fat paycheck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, I want to hear like a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Grand Slam. So as just a fan of Jason Hardrath, like I'm on Instagram all summer, just watching, seeing all the crazy stuff you're getting <laughs> up to, man. And uh, so I'll just give you some highlights is 122 peaks. And you can explain this all uh, 122 peaks, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. You did it all under 40 days over 318,000 feet of elevation gain. That's nuts, dude. Like that is wild. What a summer. <laughs> it was a grand tour of the American Rockies. I mean, you just take the most prominent peaks, the tallest peaks of, of the USA Rockies and you just go rip it start to finish and you don't go home <laughs> till you're done. Um, I mean, yeah, it was full on. It was Oh man, like, right. You, you know, a lot of people want to know the side-by-side -side comparison. Cause now I've done both the boulders in a season, Washington's hundred highest, and I've done the Rocky mountain slam. And it's like the Rocky mountain slam, the mountains, even though there's 22 more of them, it's 20% easier mountain wise. Yeah. I like mean, you look at, wise. you look at, you look at my time and yeah. it's like 50 days, 40 days. That's 20% difference. It's yeah. like, I, I executed uh the rough estimation the rough math um of the difference between the two and even though like that's the case it's man i mean the human struggle on this one just things going wrong like i started off from day one just sick and my feet melted and so i have raw feet and i'm like sick as a dog um, I don't know. I think my students gave me something at the end of the year. So just started it sick. And then that turned into for the first time ever in the States, like getting altitude sickness. Wow. Um, I just, my body being strained and, and just like racing up to 14 over and over. And I would only get sick while I was like above 13,000. I'd cough some fluid up out yeah. of my lungs. Again, the high altitude pulmonary edema issue. Yeah. Um, I'd never had it at 14 K though, only at higher peaks overseas. And so I, like the last thousand feet of every peak, I'd be like slowing down and coughing fluid. And it's just like, well, when I go back down tonight, it'll go away again. So I guess I'll just keep suffering through this. Um, and so like two weeks of that and then a crew member bails on me who'd committed to like three weeks of support, like did like 36 hours, not even 36 hours, did like 32 hours. And is like, dude, I can't handle this. I got to go. Oh, wow. Um, and bails out. And then. Um, I had to scramble and get him replaced. Then my van broke down. Uh, the rear axle got ripped loose on a four wheel drive road, had to get that repaired. Then had another crew member kind of have a meltdown in the back country and just kind of like, couldn't keep it together psychologically yeah. and had to bail out. 
and had to do the this, whole 17 dude, mile hike out 17 mile hike back in this um, is the like adaptability though you know what i mean like i feel like it's such an important trait when it comes to these big projects you know you have to be adaptable um because it's not going to go completely smoothly like has the project ever gone completely smoothly for you <laughs> i mean I, I would like to think that out of the you know journey to 100 fkts at least a few of those were a like couple. oh yeah baby yeah that was that <laughs> was perfect yeah that was yeah. perfect that was exactly how i wanted it to be <laughs> yeah. but most of the time no most of the time you face stuff but yeah this this one it was like one thing after another it was like yeah. every day every day and like straight through to the end where my feet fell apart again on the final push through montana um and so i'm like raw feet racing the storms in this like state of meltdown where like my brain is calculating you're not going to move fast enough and you're going to be the loser that gets stormed out of here and has to wait four extra days mm. to finish the final four peaks uh because you weren't strong enough you weren't fast enough way to go yeah. buddy so yeah. it's just like negative demons in the head right doubting yeah. everything um and you know that was kind of like the big moment of the thing right i i people have heard me talk about uh one of my things is the mirror check where it's like all right when i look myself in the mirror about my decision here five days five years in the future yeah and i think back to this moment am i going to be able to be proud of the decision i made and it's like to bail out because it seems like the storms will beat me and because mm. i'm in pain and suffering no i can't live with that like i wouldn't be proud looking that guy in the eye but if i walk up into the face of the storms and then the storms run me out of the mountains while I stare into their their open jaws, it's like, yeah, I could live with that. I could live with. I could live with. I I got beat, but I went every single step I could until I got beat. Yeah, you're like Rocky in the first movie. You make Rocky it the in distance, the first movie. You, you just got to make the distance. Yeah, yeah, right. The Rocky movies. You can learn everything you need to know about life and Truth. being a man from oh, the yeah. Rocky movies. <laughs> You don't need to listen to any more of this podcast. Just go nope. watch those. Yeah, buy yourself a couple turtles, Cuff and Link, and you're good. You know, oh. drink some eggs. <laughs> Adrian. Um, so so now you know. Now you know the secret. But yeah, I had to fight my way through that, and I ended up beating the storms. Yeah. Ended up beating the storms. Got that. Got to race the clock. Um, yeah, dude. Line. Tell another, me about another that. Another nail biter. That was wild. Um, so yeah, let's let yo let's go through just glaze over <laughs> 121 peaks. Um, not but even the fact that it comes name. down to the end, you know, <laughs> like it's it's like a 40 day project, and you wouldn't think it'd come down to the wire. You think you'd either know like a few days out, like am I gonna get this or not? But like no, oh, of course. I was it so comes down sure. I was so sure. Like especially as stuff went went awry again. Yeah. In my push from for Montana. I was just so sure like there's no way, there's no way. And then in that final day as uh Joshua Perry and I, he was the one with me for that push. He was with me for like the whole second half of the project. Great guy. He's the he's the guy that used to hold the self-supported PCT. Okay. Um, just a phenomenal through hiker. Phenomenal. Um and I don't know how I got so lucky that he's like, "Yeah, man, I'll jump on and support you." Um if I felt like a like having a superhero support you or something. Yeah. Um, he was like, as good as, you know, they, that, that saying, it's like, you don't need, you don't need an army to take over the world. You just need three badass motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> it's like, he's, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. Like if he's on your team, you can like drop 10 other people. Cause he'll, <laughs> he'll fill in all 10 spots. Yeah, um, yeah. so anyways, him and I are making this push and we just push through the night. Um, 
and oh man that was a chaotic night at one point like uh he lost control on a glissade and so i just like dive out and like body check him yeah and you know to slow his speed down before uh like we go into the rocks together and we both like kind of look and it's like we're bleeding a little bit one of us has a bloody nose it's like yeah you good you good all right let's keep going um just like stuff like that just like yeah okay that could have been life or death but we're good shake it off move on um so it was a full-on a full-on like night as we're pushing and just absolutely exhausted coming in. And again, I'm still like, man, I don't think, I don't think we can climb this final peak and get down in time to like punch the clock before the 40 name arc. And I lay down just like, dude, let me take a seven minute nap. You know, we just had like this kind of stressful ordeal that I named on one of the final, as we were coming down the second to last peak, um, the whole lost control, lost control on a glissade thing. Yeah. Um, and I take this seven minute power nap and I go into it just like unsure and just like heavy and tired. And when I come out of it, it's like I'm animated by a completely different spirit. I just have this sense of sureness of exactly what I need to do to make this thing happen. Yeah. And I just go out, like I leave my bag behind and I just go out like a man possessed for this final peak. And, you know, Josh is just like, who are you? I've not seen you move fast this fast, this entire project. Yeah. Like, I can't keep up right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like crank this thing out. It has this technical summit block. So we like get up there in the fog and the mist and like tag this summit block and get the summit photos and, you know, just, bombing back down this just sketchy big scree uh talus that's like dangerous but just like mobbing get back down to the flats and it's just like push 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 finally hit the trail you know running running like i want to say that some of them some of it was like in the sub sixes it might only been in the sub sevens like i was pretty beat up at that point but just I remember just grimacing and tearing up because of the sheer pain of like my raw feet shifting inside my shoes as I just like hammer for this thing to get out. (laughs) Um, and just grind and grind and grind what seems like forever because every step is excruciating and come through, tag the finish, stop the clock, and it's 39 days, 23 hours, and 44 minutes. So 16 minutes, 16 minutes to uh, put it under the 40 day mark. That's crazy, dude. That is like, I don't, once again, like the fact that you're doing this for nearly 40 days and it still comes down to the wire is absolutely incredible, dude. But what a finish, man. Like, that's the thing. You, in a weird way, you kind of probably want something like that. Like all these obstacles, you kept climbing and battling them. And that's the whole point of this, of doing any of these things, right? You want to battle obstacles. Otherwise, you wouldn't have even set an audacious goal, you know? They say the two things that are going to gonna matter in life are the hard decisions you made and who you helped. Yeah. And so, yeah, there were a lot of hard decisions over the course of that journey and sticking with it with everything that went wrong it would there were so many points that people like if i'd bailed out when my van axle got ripped loose like oh that makes sense man like your yeah. your, your rig your adventure van your home um got totaled um or nearly got totaled like that makes sense or when i got altitude sickness like oh yeah hape is dangerous like you shouldn't go back up in the mountains at all whenever you have that like totally makes sense that you you dropped out then yeah um, like oh the storms were coming in in montana like the the monsoons that totally makes sense like right there's so many places that 
anybody would have written off like, oh yeah, like that was dangerous. Yeah. Um, but just to like keep making hard decision after hard decision to move forward. And you know, not to do it in a foolish way, but to to weigh it and to understand that the skill set and capacity to continue was still there. And so it was worth it to continue. Yeah. No, that um, makes sense, man. Yeah, dude. Big big journey. So much more I can say about it. There there are other other I wanted uh, as yeah. a call as a Colorado guy, you know, I have to ask just a couple very quick Colorado questions. Now, it might all just be one big blur. So there is a chance I'm gonna ask like you know, I want to ask, like, you know, what was the best 14er out here? Like, what was your absolute favorite? You know, as a guy, I think I've climbed maybe like 18 of them, but there's 50 some, and there's so many more I want to do. But was there any that just stood out for any particular reason or any particular moment or something like that? I liked the Crestone Traverse. Okay. That was a fun experience. I liked the um, Bells Traverse. That was a good one. Um, one-off peaks. Were there any one-off peaks that really stood out in Colorado? The traverses out here are crazy looking. Like if people go look them up, some of them just from what I've seen online, I'm like, whoa, man, <laughs> like that looks intense. <laughs> they're there. Yeah. They do get technical. They do. I mean, from coming out of the Washington Bulgers yeah. to me, they felt for the totally most part, doable. playful yeah. and fun. Yeah. Um, they were in the fun zone. Um, <laughs> but for a lot of people, they're definitely a step in the direction of like, whoa, that's really technical. That's, yeah. that's, that's heady. Um, oh, capital, of course. Oh, I yeah. Capital. I loved, I loved linking capital together with snow mass and then just running and glissading down the giant snow field off snow mass. That was rad. That was a super rad day out. Um, was yeah, there I guess like, I guess those would be the things I would name as the best. Yeah. Did you find it yourself in any sketchy moments? Um, while in Colorado, nothing super sketchy. Um, I mean, a little bit of sketch when we decided to go up the is it the Belcord cooler um to go up to between the bells. Okay. I might have the name wrong, but yeah, it's the that main Kulara ascent. We decided to attack that. Yeah. And it was in pretty sketchy condition. Yeah. And we were like kind of underdressed because it went into the shade. And so like our hands are just going completely numb. And yeah. Yeah, we're in shorts. And so our feet are numb. And it's just like the snow is kind of sketch condition. And we're like, well, look, it's holding up. Let's just keep cranking. Yeah. Kind of kind of got to keep moving. Otherwise, we're going to get cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that might've been a little sketch, but not too bad. Oh, there was, you know, I mentioned the, um, that was in Montana. We did have a situation where a person who had joined for a day made a bad glissade decision as well, mm -hmm. um, of his own volition. And he like lost control and went to the, went into the rocks below. And like, I'd specifically told him like, you shouldn't glissade this. Like that's the easy glissade with a safe run out right over there. Yeah. Like you should absolutely go down this. This is a high level glissade. I know I can send it because I've been doing this for years. Yeah. Um, and I want to do this because it looks fun to me, but yeah. you should not. And so I go rip it and have a good time. And then he makes the decision. Well, it's like, well, he did it. So I'm going to do it. So you know, I have to, I have to take some responsibility. They're like, I should have just gone and done the easy one. I should have let go of my desire to play and have fun. Yeah. Um, and been, 
you know, like, okay, this person might make a bad decision if they see me make this look easy. Yeah. Um, but I was just kind of like, you know, I was in my own little gym. I was having yeah. fun doing my thing. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I've got this. I'm going to do this one. That's kind of steep and sketchy at the bottom. You guys wrap around and drop down the other one. Yeah. Um, and you know, see, he tries to follow me and sure enough, loses control at the bottom and just goes careening out into the rocks, like oh. he- head over heels yeah. into the oh. rocks and somehow comes away. Like just with like a cut finger. Yeah. Um, and I just remember seeing him lose control and going, I might be watching this person die right now. Yeah. Um, that's terrifying, man. Launching out into the rocks. That's um, terrifying. And then it's one of those situations where like, you know, if have you ever tripped going up the stairs and then you look stupid and then you just get up right away and you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You like try to play it off. I'm, that's how I'm picturing this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he took a minute. Like I went right over to him promptly Yeah. as soon as he sat up and did, of course, like a, a throw, like first aid check. Um, but also the whole time was just like talking through like breathe this, that, like you did this, yeah. like it was, you know, the, this was the context of the situation. This is what you learn from it. Um, this yeah. is the, you know, this was the difference in, you know, skill sets, da, 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 just kind of talking them through, giving them a framework, right? Cause what people need when they have a traumatic experience to keep it from being deeply traumatic where they can't move on is they need to have an interpretational narrative that allows them to very cleanly and clearly learn mm. from the traumatic situation yeah. so that their brain can go, oh, I know how to act to not ever have this happen again. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise you can't, you can't, you're locked in that moment on repeat and you can't get past it because your brain needs you to derive the lesson forward. Yeah. And you're um, not taking in the useful part of the failure. You know, yeah. and so I just immediately like talk him through the whole decision set, like from from, you know, me going and and like that maybe I should have made a better decision. So he didn't follow yeah. the, the other guy up there should not have let him go as well because he's mountain experienced and should have said, no, we're going to the um, yeah. other one. And like when you were doing this, like this was the point that like how you lost control and da da da, just kind of like laying out this like very, you know, it was fluid and flowing and, and this narrative that allowed him to like understand it. And I was like, all right, now let's get up and get moving. And we need to show your body that you're still fine and in control and able to move down the rest of this. And we like gave him some time, but then eventually got him to just easy glissade, some super easy terrain on the rest of the way out. So he had some positive experiences to end on instead of just the the bad one. And by the time we were cruising out on the road um, afterwards, he was like, okay, yeah, thanks for taking me through that and giving, giving me that much attention and intention because like mentally i'm in a lot better place right now yeah um that's awesome man you just you can't put the teacher away you know you can't go (laughs) (laughs) um dude i want to i want to hear about uh and i'm gonna i i you i I hope i don't say the name wrong but pico de orizaba pico de orizaba is mexico's tallest peak nope didn't okay sorry wrong one reading the wrong part of my notes ojos del Salado? Ojos del Salado. Yeah, I think that's it. I say Salado sometimes. Okay. I think everybody makes fun of me because hey. I say it wrong. So Salado, Salado. You know, Salado, Salado. It's a tomato, tomato. tomato. Type thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I want to hear about this adventure. So you went, you, um, spoiler alert for your movie, you got the infinity loop on North America's volcano. And then yep. you went to South America and yep. you, um, 
decided you were going to take on South America's tallest volcano for the second infinity loop of your of your project. And I want to hear about the whole experience. Um, because I was like, I, I think I told you I was captivated because it was in Chile, it was a lot of like, similar spots, you guys went way up into the mountain. So you're out of the desert. Well, it was still deserty, but you were kind of out of the, the main desert. part of the desert into the the giant mountain high country parts. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah dude oh man um so yeah sh shifting gears for everybody we've jumped back overseas we were we were in mexico earlier talking about pico de arizaba yes. came back to the states now we're back on the uh <laughs> infinity loop project uh for the seven continents seven tallest volcanoes um volcanic seven summits is the name of the list if people want to google it um and yeah ojos del salado Salado, whatever it is. Um, tallest volcano in the world, 22,615 feet. It's right. That's, that's big boy. That's real elevation. I mean, it's oh, yeah. like one of the highest places you can get to outside of the Himalaya. Um, you know, it's the second tallest point in South America, second only to Aconcagua by a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, most people on Aconcagua are taking, you know, aggressive plans are 14 days, um, more, more like entry-level mountaineer experiences. You're, you're doing 21 days a Dang. month. Yeah. Um, and you know, being a school teacher, you know, what makes our lives interesting? It's the confines within which we have to play. Yeah. And I have right. The only climbable season for this Chilean volcano is, my Christmas break, my winter break, because that's yeah. their their summer. It's the only one that really corresponds with a potentially wide enough window where I have two weeks off for the Christmas vacation. Um, and yeah, it's a climbable season there. So it's like, all right, got to try to make this happen. And you know, I decide like I want to bring people along. I've been wanting to bring you. Know, I mentioned bringing Nathan to Pico. Um, I was like, all right, I'm going to invite a bunch of people and see who comes. And it turns out like almost everybody I invited came. So we had an athlete team of five. I expected like three to show up. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect everybody to actually say yes and then not have something come up that stopped them from coming along. Um, so yeah, we ended up with a team of five down there. Which, which speaks to huge. your enthusiasm and your, uh, yep. your passion, you know? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm good at building the stoke. I'm good at keeping the stoke. Um, so yeah, people jumped on. We had uh, Chris Fisher, um, probably most known for his winter 14ers record in Colorado. Um, we had Hootie, we had Hannah Hootmer. Uh, she's a ice climber and North face. Uh, she's on there. What is that? Apprenticeship program, mentorship program. Um, we had, I'm thinking of her Instagram handle, Emily, Emily Ketty. There it yeah. is. Yeah. Emily Emily's Ketty. been on the pod, on the podcast before. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. You know, she's 200, awesome. 200 mile phenomenal oh, yeah. ultra athlete, um, has done, she, she did the Trifinity loop, um, there on the three sisters mountains, yeah. uh, a route that Kyle Long and I kind of dreamed up together and she became the first person to do. Um, and so she was an obvious choice to have come along. Um, and then brought a young fella, uh, Andrew, Andrew Okerlund. Man, I'm struggling right now. You can tell it's been a long teaching. This day. is, dude. Um, I I can speak for 
as a teacher, we're recording literally when the day ends and your brain's yeah. done because you've, yeah, been you've, you've been reciting 200 children. names all day and you've been doing <laughs> the same lesson sometimes over and over again, <laughs> you know, 10, 10 preps a day, baby. All right. Um, so yeah, brought this team of four other athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, Andrew's super cool. Cause he, he followed kind of in my footsteps. It's been fun to kind of be that's cool. You know, mentor him. He, yeah. he did the Bulgers list in a season. He has a film coming out soon. You should probably super bring him cool. on the podcast. Oh man. Yeah, him. man. I'm right. I'll, I'll write all to, these names down. I'm going to ask you for everybody that up. And then yeah. plus, yeah, everybody, everybody, we're, we're, we are still, we are going to release, you know, uh, foreshadowing, uh, you know, spoiler alert. We did not succeed at doing this infinity loop down there. It actually sparked a bit of, um, social media attention, a little bit, of, a little bit of back and forth. Um, cause you know, Andrew, Tyler Andrews, he's, a an FKT athlete who, has broken, you know, some of Carl Egloff's records on tall peaks in South America, um, Aconcagua being one, Ojo del Salado being another one, um, and then done some stuff this year in the Himalaya, um, setting some FKTs there. So, you know, big boy, tall mountains, 6,000 meter plus, um, knows how to move in that. He He's like, oh yeah, dude, like this is for where you guys are you know, driving and hiking high and then getting back low to sleep. Like you can follow this aggressive plan and reduce your risk of getting sick because you're able to come low using the four by four vehicles to kind of do yeah. a lot more up and down in a day than you could in a traditional mountaineering sense on foot. Um, he was all like thumbs up, like you should give this a go. And even thumbs up afterwards. Like, I think you guys did it right. You just needed a little more time. Yeah. Um, and then more traditional approach, uh, Sonny Stroer was like, Oh, like, what you did was foolish people. You shouldn't talk about this or encourage people at all. Cause this sort of approach is going to get people sick and killed in the mountains. And you need to be a good, uh, role model and ambassador, uh, yeah. for and, high elevation mountaineering. And she's also like extremely, yeah, she's also very yeah. accomplished. She's, she's, oh, yeah. she's, uh, holds FKTs on, uh, Aconcagua. She holds FKTs on other high peaks. She guides, um, all women's trips in the mountains. So also very experienced, just two very different camps, two very different approaches. Um, I actually think it would be an interesting article to see come out and like outside or yeah. you know, some magazine uh, where we get to like hear, you know, maybe I think Adrian Ballinger would be another interesting one to weigh in on that. Cause he's done, uh, he takes some in the past has at least has taken some uh, more aggressive acclimatization yeah. trips with, with clients using things like altitude tents and all that, which we did on this trip. Um, People were either sleeping at eleven or twelve thousand feet, um, or had access to altitude tents to sleep in at night. Um, we're using sauna protocols that uh, studies have shown help with acclimatization um, once you're on the ground. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Emily and I both used, you know, myself for the known issue with hape, I used um, nifedipin, which is a heart medication. It just happens to uh, block the vasoconstriction in the lungs okay. that triggers the feed forward loop that becomes what eventually leads to the full on edema and rupturing of fluid into the airways. Yeah. Um, so I took that and uh, a low dose of acetazolamide or Diamox is more commonly known. And Emily took just a low dose of Diamox to reduce her risk because she had some sickness issues in Bhutan when she mm -hmm. raced there yeah. at high elevation. Um, and then other, the other members on the team didn't use, didn't use anything. 
but they were like playing every day at 14,000 feet. Um, well, Andrew wasn't, but he was sleeping in the tent okay. um, as well. So yeah, just like kind of different levels of like different adjustments for different people. Um, but everybody coming in with a high level of fitness and a, uh, a high level of like as much as you can do acclimatizing in the States ahead of time. Yeah. And then stair-stepping from that, being able to go straight up to sleeping at 12,500 feet and doing day trips to 18,000, 19,000, 20,000, but coming back down to that lower sleep, yeah, um, which allowed people to still get sleep. Cause right. The tough issue is like, mm -hmm. if you're just, if you're just going on the mountain for a push of the summit, then you don't really, right. You can be facing the issue of not being well rested. Cause you just go do your thing and then you stop and you camp or you come back down and you sleep at the hut. Um, but it's like, our we're getting ready to push for like 48 hours straight. We, yeah. we need to have been sleeping for the, the time prior, not yeah. be so sleep deprived that we can't keep our eyes open. Um, so it's like battling these different issues. So it's like sleeping low allowed us to also sleep well at night. Um, or at least most of the nights, there were some nights where we were still wrecked because it was such yeah. an aggressive plan. Um, like not, I definitely can't say I recommend this plan for anybody that's not already like able to just absolutely run on 14ers. Yeah. Um, like it's, you just shouldn't even consider like a seven or a 10 day plan. Like you should take like a 14 day, yeah. um, acclimatization plan. And yeah, so we came into this thing, we were like sleeping low, driving high, hiking higher. Um, and yeah, you know, different members of the team kind of made their decisions at different points about whether they would even start off with the intention of doing the, the whole infinity whole, yeah, loop. I yeah. think I think Chris Fisher was the first person that was like, yeah, no, it's not worth it for me. I don't feel like I'll be acclimatized enough. I don't mm. want to put my body at risk of getting hape because I have, you know, big goals in the Himalaya at some point. I want to try to climb things without O2. Yeah. And any any risk of increasing my risk for hape from this isn't worth it. So I think he was the first one to kind of pull the plug on saying he would attempt, he's just going to go for summit and then go down. And then I think, uh, Hannah after that. And I told Andrew, I'm like, Andrew, unless it's an absolute hell. Yeah. The whole point of bringing you as a, a young person on this trip is to expand your horizons and that you get to have this crazy new experience in a foreign country and climb, climb a new peak. Like you don't need to do this whole effort. That's not what this was about. Um, and so unless it's a hell, yeah, it's a no. Yeah. And so he was like, well, yeah, it's not a hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm definitely questioning. I'm like, cool. Then you're just going for summit. That's great. Like yeah. it's good. Like it's worth it. You know, the, the people you've met, the experience you've had totally worth it. Totally. Um, and then Emily and I both decided we would start at least with the intention of attempting to continue. Yeah. And then the experience just became so, so full on. And the moving paces and things just didn't line up enough that it was really clear that there was no way a second lap up mm -hmm. was going to be efficient or safe. And yeah. also the idea of being at 17,000 feet for that whole circumnavigation as well in between. It was just like, it was a lot, know, man. I ended a up, lot. I ended up at least like continuing on to like site the route down the Argentinian side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it didn't it didn't make sense to continue on 
Because if you drop um, down that. the other side, you're oh, you're fully committed out there. Yeah, you're like, out there. There's, there's no, no easy way rescue, out. No helicopters yeah. coming. Yeah. No, no easy access by vehicle. Yeah. Like you either get yourself back around the mountain or you walk out into Argentina for <laughs> yeah, like miles and miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's very committing to drop off on the Argentinian side, and so yeah, it was a case of like, I need to come back. And spend more time on the routes on the mountain. Mm-hmm. I, I need to come and and just even just show up and walk around the thing for a few days, um, mm. and like know the whole circumnavigation. That um, like would build your like comfort, confidence, with that and, and, and comfort. Com- yep. Yeah, knowing how to navigate that, knowing what to expect, how much of it is slow moving volcanic terrain versus versus like fairly flat pumice walking. Um, none of it's going to be fast moving. It's all kind of loose and and deep. Yeah, but kind of at least knowing what to expect versus like this, you know, this 12 miles may take, you know, three hours or may take 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, who who knows which? Yeah. Um. So yeah, just getting that better dialed will really help. And then yeah, a longer, a longer window, like my takeaway from it is that um, to do an infinity loop, like, yeah, we got seven out of seven people who wanted to go. Which One is of, a, yeah, amazing, they, dude. And that is an accomplishment. Yeah. Seven out of seven made the summit, which is yeah. awesome on less than seven days of acclimatization in total. Yeah. Um, so it's like wild that we had the success that we had and so many people, right. Chris is already on a trip to, well, he's packing, he's about to leave on a trip to go do, uh, Pico de Arizaba and then back to, Mexico. I linked him up with Tyler Andrews. So he's going to go join in on a Tyler Andrews trip and be back down in Chile again. Um, and he hadn't even ever been out of the country. He had to literally rush a passport for himself no last way. minute to come on yeah. this trip in yeah. total Chris Fisher style. <laughs> um, and now he's like launching into international trip after international trip to go after these bigger peaks and to you know get more used to acclimatization for himself. So seeing that like alter his, his trajectory and focus, um, and then, you know, for both Emily and and Hannah in their own way, just like being like, this is the hardest experience I've ever had. And they've both done really hard, yeah. um, really hard shit. Um, they, they are not lightweights by any means. And for them to both have such world rocking experiences up there at 22,000 plus feet was super cool. And to be able to be present for that. Um, and then Andrew just had an awesome day climbing with... Uh, Matt Limke, our support guy. And so, you know, Matt, who's climbed all over the world, got a new high point for himself. Um, cause he'd never been, he'd never been to 6,800 meters before. Yeah. Um, so a new high point for himself and Andrew was, was with him. And so, you know, the idea that Andrew's now going to have the potential of climbing all over the world with Matt more or with any of us, um, feels really cool and kind of world opening. So yeah, like a lot, like so much good. And then, you know, that sitting against like this little bit of kind of pushback of like, that was kind of foolish and maybe you shouldn't talk about it. And, um, a little bit of like, well, you failed, you didn't succeed at the infinity loop. It's like, well, I mean, did I fail or did I learn, you know? And I think, you know, it was that case of like, like I was just saying about the, the dude who had the slide out on, you know, made a bad glissading decision it's like all right you need a meaningful narrative to move forward and then once you have that it's just a learning experience like i know i can go back there 
I now learn so much about myself. It's the first time I've ever launched to such high elevations. I mean, the last time I went to 20,000 feet prior to this trip, I had excruciating headaches. I vomited on the summit. I had, I, for 24 hours afterwards, I was coughing fluid out of my lungs with, you know, extreme hape condition. Um, and this time I had no symptoms other than I had a bit of a headache while I was up there at the top. Um, and so huge breakthrough for me on what's possible for my body. Um, and sure. Yeah. Using, you know, the, the purists would be like, well, yeah, but you were using drugs to enhance your ability to be at elevation. It's like, well, yeah, but I also want to be able to go do things in this, these spaces as a school teacher. Yeah. Um, and so like, I'm not, I'm not going to go claim some kind of like, Everest summit with no O2. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's not what I'm trying to do here. It's like, I'm trying to go out and with a, you know, with a nine to five or job, albeit one that offers a lot of freedom for time off with breaks. Um, I want to attempt to go play on some of the big mountains of the world and do some crazy ambitious ultra endurance endeavors on said mountains versus just going for the summit and coming back down. And because I have this genetic predisposition for hape, it's like, Either I just rule out that I can ever go to these places at all because I don't have the time window for it, or I'm I'd be willing to experiment with some of the things that studies have shown can mitigate the risk of dying out there. And it's not like they're, you know, you, you, some people want to conflate it as like performance enhancing. It's like, well, actually, the experience of using, say, nifedipine, it definitely doesn't put your your head in a place that you're like, Oh yeah, I'm ready to crush. It's not like, it's not like <laughs> taking pre-workout. It's more like you feel a little bit fuzzy and yeah. your vision, your vision's not quite right. And so you're like, man, I don't even want to have to use this, but turns out it stops you from getting sick and dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that for me is a bit different than like, if it was like making it so I could just sprint up mountains nonstop, it's like, that's not, it's not the same experience. No, I'm, reducing, it's almost... I'm reducing my risk of dying out there. I'm yeah. not, enhancing my performance it's like performance enabling you know what i mean like you're now you're like i can do this i i have I can, a chance yeah. you i know? can be here and i don't need a helicopter to come and remove me yeah um yeah so yeah it, it, it's i know man it's it's a weird it has to be a weird thing because you all went down there with this goal and it was a lofty beyond lofty goal right and you still got to experience like have a beautiful wonderful adventure experience and you got to accomplish a major thing that most people won't ever accomplish you know what i mean so can you kind of describe that because it has to be this weird like pull and push in your own brain of like you know i don't know it's just an interesting you know it's a huge major accomplishment but it's not the thing you set out to do and i know there's probably has to be a little bit of trying to figure out how you feel about that i mean yeah there's a lot of different ways to feel about it because it's like if i look at myself purely as a trip leader it's like it's easy for me to and in a way i should right in a way where does the buck stop for why nobody succeeded at the infinity loop it's because I had a plan that I tried to fit into my scholastic break. Yeah. If I had never held everybody to those confines, if if I'd expanded it to a wider time frame right from the get-go, as soon as other people joined, this team absolutely could have succeeded at doing it, right? If we were there for three weeks, like 
there would be an infinity loop on it. Yeah, but to the same vein, they might have all joined because oh, absolutely, it was this short they, amount of time. If you're oh, like, this like, is going to be a month, you look at the personality. Like, yeah. You look at the personality types of the people that were on that trip. Yeah. They are looking for exceptional, um, hard, yeah. unique endeavors. They're not looking for the long like traditional route they're 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 pushers they're go-getters they're creators they're edge pushers they're they're not like i think if if the invitation had been for three weeks like it wouldn't have been the same team yeah they They would have been like oh that's too much time around the holidays yeah exactly Um, so yeah uh, it wouldn't have been the same team it wouldn't have some of those people wouldn't have come yeah Um, yeah they wouldn't have had the money wouldn't have been able to take the time off um, wouldn't have been as interested just strictly from the, it didn't sound as extreme and crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, the, the, like the agreement was the agreement and that was what drew the people who decided to come into it. So it was, yeah, like it all was what it was. Um, but again, like I can still take ownership for yeah. the fact that it's like, we didn't mm-hmm. succeed because the window was too tight. Um, and that's fine. Like I can own that and that can fall to me and I can learn from it. And the next time I take a, a, a team over there, it'll be with a wider window and we're going to put an infinity loop on the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, not to Babe Ruth it and call my shot, but um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be back over there at some point. I want to hear just really quick. Like you mentioned dropping off, like you're at the top, then you drop off the other side how exciting does that even feel like that feels very exciting as soon as you described it that way and then you're just out there like that seems really exciting and i have to imagine that's like a moment you're dreaming of oh yeah oh yeah i mean (laughs) i mean i actually i might flip-flop my plan yeah i may start when i go back to do it again i may start with one of the half circs Mm -hmm. at the bottom and come up argentina and descend the Chilean side that I already know. Yeah. So it's like doing, doing sort of this unknown first, and then you climb over the mountain to get back to safety. Yeah. Um, I might, I might go that direction with it. The reason why is you have to carry all of your supplies for each half loop, um, each, you know, half eight of the figure eight. And it makes it a really heavy carryover when you're carrying everything up and over the mountain that you need for coming around the half cirque as well. If instead you've consumed all those fluids doing the half cirque first, you're carrying much lighter over the top of the mountain, which at those elevations, when you're trying to move between 21,000 and 22,600, like a few extra liters of water gets much, much heavier. Uh, (laughs) Surprise. Dude, Uh, this is such a perfect example. And I've said this, a bunch of times on the podcast because it's kind of something that's always stuck with me it's the idea of failure and fail quote unquote and i heard this from like an education guy he said fail first attempt in learning you know what i mean and if you look at it that way you're like yeah of course this wasn't going to work out necessarily the first time when i didn't know all the factors that are going into it and even you just bringing that up like i'm like oh yeah that's a that's a genius plan like that's a smart idea and there was there would have been no way to probably even think of that idea unless you actually went out and had the experience and the experience didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to and then you come up with the new plan you know i just think it's 
it's such a weird thing that people are so scared to fail. And I think it just stops them from having experiences, you know? Yeah. I mean, this, like I, like I alluded to earlier, it's like the amount of impact and change this had on the people I brought on this trip alone by itself, like so worth it. Yeah. I mean, an un like what an unreal and cool thing to have instigated in a bunch of other people's lives to crack open some horizons and introduce some new perspectives and to widen what they believe is possible for them. And they were already like big thinkers to begin with. Right. So it's like, it's not like I was taking somebody that had never been out of their hometown um, and like took them to the town over and they're like, Whoa, the world is bigger than I thought, which is a cool experience too. Right. Like that is still meaningful. I do that sort of thing with my students. Yeah. Just taking them over to the local, like, Hogsback Hill yeah. and taking them to the summit. And it is world rocking for them. It is a frontier adventure for them. And it's like, but that is very important. Totally. But this was taking a bunch of people who had already done some very hard things yeah, and showing them like another frontier in a new place. And that was pretty cool. I mean, it was super cool. It was deep and rewarding. And I'm excited to see the dividends it pays in the long run. And I'm excited yeah. to get more of them on to tell their story and their experience um with this and what their are their intentions are after it how it's like shaped or nudged them right because it probably didn't it for all of them it didn't alter it much but it definitely gave them a a nudge in a given direction a new belief to uh to live by for so, sure so. what um what kind of things did you take away from the online debate or the criticism of you know the plan do you know what I mean? Like, did you take away some, some, were you able to be open enough to be like, okay, these were some things that I definitely am hearing and understanding and agreeing with and things like that? Um, well, from the experience itself on the ground, like internet debate aside. Yeah. Um, I'd say one of the big things I took away being, being, excuse me, being present and invested as a, yeah team leader um like watching as people sort of got pulled apart at the seams and like mending and stitching when things needed mended and stitched whether it was between two team members or just a person on their own struggling during this right because we're we're just throwing our bodies through this stress for sure you know and you're struggling to eat and you're struggling to sleep and you have headaches at times right like people aren't at their best and so putting out fires where fires need to be put out and bringing the team together to make democratic decisions so that people would be invested in the final decision that was made. Um, you know, oftentimes like getting somebody to help me fuel the trucks or heat some water or things like that while still being on myself, like I'm going to make sure the trucks get fueled. I'm going to make sure uh, people are taking care of themselves and hydrating and eating. Um, and, you know, different days, it would be like different people that needed different check-ins. Um, like that was pretty full on. And yeah. then, like I said, being present on the, the summit, um, and on the final summit approach for, for both Hannah and Emily, as they had just kind of like very real and visceral experiences. Um, you know, Hannah, Hannah wrote in a recent post, uh, about how, you know, she was up there and it was already so hard and she still had, uh, a thousand feet or whatever to the summit, 600 feet to the summit. Yeah. And she, it was like, all right, she'd already been in so much suffering and it already was so much harder that she 
was questioning like, do I even want to continue? Like I'm so uncomfortable. Um, and she like turns to me for like some inspiration and stoke. And it's like, oh, you can make, you can make whatever decision you want. You just have to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she wrote about that. She's like that. He, he replies to me, you know, you can do whatever you want. You just have to live with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's like, yeah, okay. What do I want to live with? <laughs> and so yeah. she went on, she went on to the summit, you know, and it's like, you know, we do that as teachers. It's like, I, I don't need to save you. Like I'm, I'm not the one coming through for you. It's gotta be, it's gotta yeah. be you coming through for you. It's yeah. gotta be, you had a reason for, making this decision to to have a, this story read a certain way um to have this memory play back a certain way and in a way like that was the experience with nathan in in the pico de Orizaba film if yeah. people haven't watched it yet why aren't you pausing this episode yeah you should have paused it, it already right what were you, you um see plus that was, from you <laughs> that was that was the that was the crux of that whole experience too was this hey man like yeah, you could, you're, you're feeling good right now and you could drop me and leave me behind and I can turn around and go down to the hut and call it a day. Um, and you can go finish this thing and put your name on it. But if you're looking yourself in the mirror and you think Jason might've been able to finish his project mm. if I'd been able to wait up and what if he ra would have rallied? Yeah. Um, and then you get to live with that as like, which, you know, how do you want this to play? Like what impact will that have on the feeling toward this project, on the feeling toward our mm. friendship yeah. and partnership in the mountains? Um, what will be said on future phone calls when we talk with each other uh, about the decisions we make here? Um, it's like, yeah, you can make, you can make whatever decision you want. You just have to live with it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the most powerful things we can like remind people of is to put themselves out on a time scale. Right. Because often when we're struggling, mm -hmm. when we're in the deep, dark suffering, we're in the moment. Yeah. It's it's us with us right now. It's us in this moment with the decisions and the feelings right in front of us. And it's so easy to only start making the decision from that framework of the moment. And so anytime you can give people just a little tap on the shoulder and be like, you realize you exist five years from now, very likely. <laughs> um, yeah. And 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 you can look at this from that perspective too, where it's already done and, and what is the behavior or the action you would be most proud of yourself for having carried out and then embody that now. And that like little nudge and that reframe can just yeah. put people in a whole different space, a whole different energy um, and like bring back their why, bring back their, their, their willpower Um and yeah, it it just it just is such a useful a useful tool. Just reframing the the time frame for for people when they're caught in those like moment to moment experiences and and overwhelmed by it. Yeah, no, I love that man. I really I wrote that down as you were saying it because that's like a tool. It's like a useful thing that you can actually use. You know, like you can use that in all sorts of moments. It doesn't have to be on the side of a volcano, <laughs> even though that sounds way cooler. <laughs> um, dude, I, I just want to say like, I'm very inspired by you. Um, I think chasing audacious goals, like it's a lot of people can say that they're going to do something. A lot of people can say that they want to do something. 
you know, but actually going out and giving it a shot and giving it a shot in the face of like near impossible odds. Like that's truly what this is all about. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one thing to say you're going to do something and then just be like, I know I'm going to, I, I know I can, I know I'm going to get this done. Like it's something I've done before or whatever, but to say you're going to do something that you've never done before and that no one's ever done before and then going out and just giving it a shot and just putting yourself out there is, is something that's super admirable. And uh, like, I just appreciate that there are Jason Hardrass out there doing these incredible big things and whether or not it goes according to plan like that's just how it goes sometimes you know um but stepping up to the plate and and giving it your best shot is is something that's incredible so keep that up dude i i really appreciate that you're out there doing it yeah dude i i appreciate that from one educator to another that means (laughs) that means a lot to hear from you and I mean, it's, it's, it's a role I take very seriously. It's, it sets the stage for conversations like this. It's one of the ways I communicate and convey both who I am and my values to the world is through this medium of like, yeah, if I can go do big things, you can too. It's one of the things that gives my, my teaching credibility and depth and meaning and purpose. It's one of the things that gives my coaching meaning and depth and credibility and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it brings more life to every aspect of my life. And I want, I don't just want that for me. I want, I want to extend that spirit of the sport, that upwardly orienting ambition and and just like to be caught to have not just be focused on but almost like that thing grabs you and has you right you're obsessed with it and because of it you just put your life together so much better like i had to figure out how to manage partnerships and brand relationship deals and manage a team and do zoom calls to like get everybody on the same page with their acclimatization plan and figure out how to get a altitude tent for Andrew. Cause he didn't have one and he lived at like practically sea level while at college and totally couldn't get one for himself. Yeah. And like all these different things. Like I'm like, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I, how do I solve? Right. So it's like making me a better, more well-fleshed out human being on what I'm capable of and what I can make happen in the world, what I can manifest in the world yeah. for the good of myself and the good of others. It's like, I want more people who get wrapped up in things like that, yeah. right? More people that are just like, not only can I take care of myself, right? Which is oftentimes what we're focused on as teachers is like, can we get the student to where they're going to make it in the world Yes, uh, where they can manage their emotions and hold down a job? And it's like, <laughs> that's just like, that's just like the beginning, right? That's just like, okay, you, you can feed yourself. Cool. Now that you are feeding yourself, guess what? 50 years more is a long time to live. Yeah. (laughs) Can you find purpose? Can you find meaning? Yeah. Time to figure out how to make, make, make your purpose happen, how to manifest some of your values and dreams in the world. Yeah. And, and that's an important thing to, I can tell that's an important thing for you. Um, getting people to understand that. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's huge. It's huge for me. It's like, yeah, the more the more people we have creating these positive ripples, these yeah. positive impacts in the world. Like I firmly believe that the spirit of sport, the spirit of exploration, like the net lift that that has yes. on human society at large, is even if we can't measure it now or, or clearly, it's like that is something that lifts humanity for the better. 
it's it's something that's important when we're all participating in this hero's journey of going out and doing the thing and coming back and inspiring others. I always say it's like the adventure is for you. The story is for those who come next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's what you're bringing back. If you're not bringing back the riches, if you're not bringing back like so, something tangible, what you're bringing back is is that inspiration and practical knowledge that helps those who come next take their own journey. Um, dude, and that keeps that collective lift happening. I love that, man. I love that so much, dude. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing the stories. I, you're an open, open invitation. Whenever you want to come on the <laughs> podcast, please just let me know. I will definitely be reaching out again. Uh, Jason, where can people kind of follow future crazy insane adventures that you were like i'm gonna do this this summer <laughs> or whatever uh i'm on my the thing i use the most right now is instagram yeah. jason hardrath on instagram uh i'm gonna try to post some stuff to youtube this year that's a a goal Ooh. i have so hopefully yeah. at least 12 videos will pop up one for each month of the the year on youtube and then uh i'm coaching with uh chosky endurance collective this year so if anybody's looking for a coach you can uh request me through through Chosky. So that can that can be another place to to find me if you're trying to get ready for your own race or adventure or whatever it might be. I'm coaching mountaineers, cyclists, and runners um, for them. And uh yeah, I'll probably be leading some trips and taking people on some trips with uh Aspire Adventure Running. And then Chris Fisher and I are talking about maybe taking some people to Chile um this upcoming this upcoming year. So awesome, we'll see. Man. Dude, we'll see. I there could be lots of opportunities to connect. Awesome. I love it, man. I'll uh, make sure to post all that stuff in the show notes. And yeah, dude, definitely want to chat with you again sometime soon. But anyways, enjoy the rest of your school year. You know, you as well, dude. <laughs> all right. We'll talk again soon. <laughs> all right. See you, man. All righty. That wraps up this week's episode with Jason Hardrath. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for spending the hour after teaching with me where both of our brains are fried. Um, sometimes, <laughs> uh, I think I watched something recently that was like the amount of decisions a teacher has to make on a daily basis. Um, and also just like on a minute to minute basis, I think for someone who's not used to it, it would seem like madness, dude. Like it would seem like madness. The amount of decisions that we have to make at any given time where like it reminds me so my my friend Paul who spoiler alert is going to be our guest next week Paul Shearing uh coming back on the show super awesome it's a nice exploration of creativity and um being an artist and being a creator and things like this but Paul is a writer and he's been a writer for 25 years and he's been a screenwriter. He's written um, movies and TV shows and, and all that stuff. Um, directed a pretty cool documentary with his buddy Chris at one point too. Um, <laughs> but Paul was telling me about what it's like to direct uh, a movie, you know, like with actors and everything like that, right? And... He said, honestly, it's just answering a billion questions every single minute where someone will walk up to you and be like, um, what kind of light bulb should we put in these lamps? And you're like, uh, I don't know, you know, this kind. And then someone's like, 
where where should the camera be placed for this next shot and you're like uh over there um and then you know an actor comes up it's like what's my motivation for the scene uh you're hungry um <laughs> and he said it's just that for the whole entire shooting process and you kind of have to go by your gut reaction and your instinct on some things you know but you're kind of like signing off on every little decision because the film is in part like part of your partially your decision um well when you're a teacher and you have these little human beings um who are in their own process of developing into people right so they don't necessarily know how to do everything they don't necessarily um know how to treat other people or like you know even interact or ask questions in a way that makes sense sometimes um there's moments during a teaching day where you're just like i think i'm losing my mind maybe like i think i'm i'm going insane but then you just adapt to it you know and i kind of think this is why so just to speak to jason and his journey here um when you get those down moments and you get the winter break kind of situations it's why in a weird way people just crash during those times um and it's weird as a teacher because you don't even realize how stressed you are during the day with that day-to-day kind of stuff um but then you get a break from it and your body just takes a little bit of time to adapt and so to throw in a complete incredibly challenging incredibly hard expedition on top of just taking a break from that normalcy of the busyness of teaching and the day-to-day life is yeah it definitely can be i can see how that was just an extra layer of challenge on top of this on top of even like the time crunch part um that jason talked about so so yeah i i really look up to him i think what he goes after with these goals is audacious i think the things that he wants to do and the goals that he wants to set in his life and the goals that he wants to chase are things that are really inspiring and there are things that are definitely pushing boundaries um you know jason's going out there during his his breaks and he's pushing his own boundaries and trying to inspire other athletes to push theirs and whatever whatever their own unique ways are you know like when the expedition kind of transformed from doing an infinity loop to summiting south america's tallest volcano you know i'm sure he was all in on pushing people towards that and cheering them on and being enthusiastic in his own way and i'm sure it was stressful and you know obviously he alluded to a lot of stresses on the trip itself um but that's learning experiences that's what we do we like i said in the intro fail first attempt in learning Sometimes you got to go through those really hard moments and those difficult experiences, difficult interactions um, to learn how to do that stuff, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm just, 
like I said, I see it every day, but I see it every day in seventh graders and Jason sees it every day in um, his PE classes. But I see human beings in their first attempt in learning and it's easier to accept when things aren't perfect because people aren't perfect. Um, my friend Bruce said, nobody's perfect or sorry, nothing is perfect. Nothing is permanent and nothing is personal. And I think that's three important things to kind of take away there. Um, awesome. That wraps up the episode. Uh, apologies for last week. We didn't have a show. Um, I think what happens every February and I always, I always kind of forget it until I'm in February is that my life just becomes insanely busy, uh, with all sorts of things. We had parent teacher conferences. My kids are all in different activities. Like every single night they're doing basketball or, or dance or hockey or gymnastics or, you know, so I'm, I'm driving around, I'm dad mobile. Um, on top of school gets busy with, uh, just the February, um, how would I say this? Just February is tough for in a, in a school. Um, but you throw in parent teacher conferences and you throw in, uh, just, you know, trying to, trying to inspire the kids to make it through. Um, and it just adds on to the busyness. Um, and then on top of that, it's two of my kids' birthdays, pretty much back-to-back weekends. So um, we I was just in the middle of that, and I was like, you know, I could probably figure out a way to produce an episode in this, but I don't think it would be nearly as good. It would be rushed. It would, wouldn't be nearly as good as uh, if I just waited a week and kind of took my time. So... Um, so that's it. So yeah, next week is going to be one of my absolute favorite episodes ever. Um, I'm sitting down, I'm talking with one of my really, really, really close friends and a guy that I look up to and, um, someone who teaches me not only about myself, but just about the world around me and how these, these bigger things work. Um, so I'm sitting down with, with my buddy, Paul, um, he's been on the show before and we're going to really, really dive in on some really deep stuff, uh, as we talk about creativity and, um, and putting your heart in creativity. And I think that's, that's where the beauty comes from. So anyways, it's a good one. Uh, come back next week and yeah, that's it. We'll talk to you then.